0: This episode was recorded at 2.09 and 35 seconds Eastern time on Wednesday. That is the exact time right now. Things may have changed by the time you hear it. Keep up with all of our coverage at NPR.org or on the NPR One app and on your local public radio station. Okay, here's the show. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here to talk about the latest in a growing scandal involving former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and maybe other members of Donald Trump's campaign team and contacts with the Russian government. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And joining us this afternoon is someone who knows a lot more about this corner of the news world than we do, Mary Louise Kelly.
1: I'm Mary Louise Kelly. I'm glad to be here. I cover national security.
0: Busy, busy few days for, for I guess, for all of us. Busy Indeed. Busy month. It is feels like a lot longer than a month. So this has happened several times with the Trump campaign and now the Trump White House. You have a major, major news story. It dominates the day's coverage. It's the only thing everyone's talking about. And then suddenly that night, what looks to be an even bigger story breaks and suddenly that replaces it and resets and starts the process over. So here's the latest development. The New York Times reported this first, followed by CNN, that Trump campaign officials were in touch with Russian intelligence operatives during the election last year and that the intelligence community is investigating intercepted communications, financial transactions Mary Louise, what is the intelligence community looking at here and what is new in this?
1: Well, the big question mark is the two C's. Did a line get crossed? beyond contact mm-hmm. between Trump associates and Russia to actual collusion, cooperation, tra- helping the efforts in any way in there, uh, of the Russians to sway the U.S. election. That's the big question mark, and the bottom line so far is there is no evidence of that. The New York Times, as you said, is, has been out there in front on this story. I just got off the phone with the U.S. intelligence official who's read in on this. This source uh, seconded There is no evidence so far that a line was crossed to Actual collusion, cooperation, and also critical to point out, no line so far that we've seen that crosses beyond ill-advised behavior to illegal behavior.
0: Because you have the uh, the question of was Russia working to influence the election? That is a question that the intelligence community is very, very confident on.
1: Absolutely high confidence, unanimous. All 17 U.S. spy agencies are are behind this assessment that yes, Russia was working to influence the U.S. election. So now we continue to probe. Did they get any help? Did they get an assist?
0: Right. Were, were they aware of this? Because, Domenico, there was a lot of conversation about this during the campaign. I mean, this was an issue that was the subject of several minutes of debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump during one of the debates. And there were instances of uh, advisors to Trump like Roger Stone tweeting cryptically about coming WikiLeaks releases about John Podesta and others. So what's new here? Well, the thing is, I mean, you know,
2: it's not just Roger Stone. I mean, Donald Trump himself said that, you know, he was reading these WikiLeaks emails, was making them public. He was talking about them and about these new revelations that keep coming back. Remember during the campaign, Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida, Who ran against Trump warned that Republicans shouldn't be so thrilled with these WikiLeaks revelations because it could come back to bite them. So when Donald Trump talks about the really bad problems with leaks, you know, there was a lot of Democrats who are saying, well, the
0: shoe is on the other foot now.
2: You know, there are. And that's because
0: the main response that Trump has had first on Twitter and then in a press conference today, which we're going to listen to in a little bit has been anger about the fact that this information is public, that these transcripts, that these investigations uh, that are going on are things that we're learning about through news reports.
1: That's right. And just to set the stage a little bit, there's two parallel trends happening here. One is the thing we've been talking about, investigations into contacts between the Trump campaign, Mm -hmm. so before the November election, the campaign, and Russia. On this related but parallel track is what is happening with the National Security Advisor, Mike Flynn, who was just forced to step down because of calls that he now says he did not characterize accurately when he talked about them, but calls in December, so the transition period between the election and when President Trump actually took the oath of office Mm -hmm. in January. So, two separate things, both looking at Trump colleagues, Trump associates, and what their links may be to Russia. In the case of Flynn, the big question is. Does it stop with Flynn? Does the trail stop there?
0: Because the question that a lot of people have is, would Michael Flynn have made a call to Russia's ambassador and talked about something sensitive like that on his own? You know, did somebody else tell him to do that?
2: Yeah. And look, the real question I have here, and and yes, to your point about uh, did someone tell him this, you know. Donald Trump sets out what the campaign ethos is. He was taking information on how to think about national security, how to be advised about national security from Michael Flynn. He was a principal person talking to him yeah. about Iran, about Russia, about how to deal with all of those countries. So if they were pretty simpatico, maybe Trump didn't have to say, go ahead and uh, you know reassure somebody. Yeah. Um, and there's no evidence that he went and reassured the Russian ambassador at this point. Um, but if he were to do something like that, You know, it wouldn't be out of line with what Trump was saying during the campaign, to be quite honest. What I'm fascinated by, the question I continue to have, though, is why did Donald Trump fire Michael Flynn on Monday when apparently he knew that Flynn had misrepresented his conversation with the Russian ambassador, that he had, in fact, talked about sanctions, had misled the vice president and others within the administration, And they knew that January 26th. What changed? The only thing that was different is that there's been a crush of media reports bringing to light what the Justice Department told White White House House officials.
0: Well, there's another dynamic in terms of uh, questions about what Donald Trump is saying and Donald Trump's actions on this. So I think we should take a listen to what the president said today during a press conference with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. Uh, Trump was asked generally about uh, Michael Flynn. And here's what he had to say.
2: Michael Flynn, General Flynn, is a wonderful man. I think he's been treated very, very unfairly by the media, um, as I call it, the fake media in many cases. And uh, I think it's really a sad thing that he was treated so badly. I think in addition to that, uh, from intelligence, uh, papers are being leaked, things are being leaked. It's criminal action, criminal act. And it's been going on for a long time, before me, but now it's really going on. And people are trying to cover up for a terrible loss that the Democrats had under Hillary Clinton. I think it's very, very unfair what's happened to...
0: So I have two big questions here, one for each of you. Dominica, if these reports were so unfair, if the media is treating Michael Flynn so unfairly, why did President Trump ask for his resignation then?
2: I am befuddled by the tone coming out of yeah. the White
0: House. Because we're if getting, it's
2: unfair, he should still have his job, right? I totally agree. And we're hearing complete mixed messages out of the White House. You heard Kellyanne Conway, you know, two days ago, say that Michael Flynn had the full confidence of Donald Trump. Within an hour, you had Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, say that they were evaluating the situation. Later that night, he resigned. The next day, you had Sean Spicer thundering at the press briefing room in the White House and saying that Flynn was fired by Donald Trump for eroding trust. That is not the tone That Donald Trump took today. Today, his irritation and tone was not with Michael Flynn's eroding trust, but with the quote fake media, and even called it sad that he was treated unfairly. You know, there's always been two Donald Trumps, and sometimes you're just not sure which one's going to show up on which day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I would agree with Donald Trump on on a point he made there, which is that the pace of leaks at the moment is extraordinary. I mean, I've I've covered foreign policy and national security for 20 years, multiple administrations. I've never seen anything like this. Whereas we sit down to tape this, we know we'll be overtaken by events by tonight. It's unbelievable. And the details are so
0: specific that I mean, I haven't covered this. I just read the news about it. But to me, it's, it's striking. You know, this specific person's calls were tapped. These are the things we have. There are transcripts like is that level of specificity something that's 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 unique here?
1: No, we have seen that before. The pace is unusual. But I think the other thing we have not seen before is an administration be this inconsistent in describing what it knew and when. And that drives leaks. When there are people in the intelligence community, people in the Justice Department, people in the Trump White House itself, who see officials going up and making public statements that they know to be incorrect, that tends to find its way into the media. I mean, consider this, the Vice President, Mike Pence, if we take him at his word, he says he only learned the truth. About Flynn, the National security Advisor, last week, and that he learned it by reading The Washington Post. Mm-hmm.
2: That's extraordinary. so let me let me ask you this, Mary Louise. you're saying that in your career. you haven't seen this level of leaks. Why would the intelligence community suddenly in this administration, in the early days of this administration, very early feel, days. feel compelled to leak in the way that they have been?
1: well, i will I will say I will say a couple of things. One is, these leaks are not all coming from the intelligence community. Not even not even overwhelmingly coming from the intelligence community. I will say that that reporters all over town are getting calls returned by the intelligence community, but also by the Justice Department, by the White House, by Capitol Hill. There are a lot of people Uh, With motives all over the map. Uh Some of them have an ax out for the Trump administration. Absolutely. Some of them think they know more than is out there and would like to set the record straight. Absolutely. There are always all kinds of motives driving this. That's one of the first questions you ask when somebody takes your call and Mm -hmm. and tells you something interesting is, why are you telling me this? Um, Because it helps to assess what they're coming from and do they actually know what they're talking about. And I will emphasize, I, I just um, reached somebody inside the White House today and, and asked them to describe, you know, what, what's the mood there? Like what's going on in the halls? And this official said it is an absolute effing train wreck. Wow. I,
0: I want to talk was. about that. Uh, first, uh, mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with uh, Senator John McCain briefly in the halls of Congress today, and he said something kind of similar. I mean, he's been very critical the last few days about uh, the organization of this White House when it comes to national security.
2: You've got to go through a, a regular process of decision making, and that's what they're not doing. And, and, the, and as I said before, who's making the decisions in the White House? Is it the 31-year-old? Is it Mr. Bannon? Is it, is it the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? I don't know.
0: The 31-year-old being uh, Stephen Miller, a top policy advisor, who a lot of who a lot of people in Washington are very upset about the fact that he's so young. But I think there are a lot of other questions as well about the decision. There's also made.
1: another 30-something in the White House, Jared Kushner, yeah. uh, Trump's son-in-law, who's who's in the mix there as well. So, Five
0: years older. So we've just lost the National Security Advisor. Uh, several people are being interviewed to replace Flynn. It looks like we'll have a pick in the next few days. It seems. First of all, just generally, how important is the NSC to the overall White House operation in terms of national security? And secondly, how much control does the National Security Advisor have in setting? the pace and and the workplace environment of the NSC. Oh,
1: it's huge. I mean, it's hard to overstate that role uh, in setting the foreign policy and national security policy of this country and coordinating all of the other bureaucracies around town, State Department, the Defense Department, Treasury, CIA, all the intelligence agencies. We mentioned Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House today. What is U.S. policy on Israel? it's a moving target, along with a lot of other things. And some of that is understandable with a new administration that is not quite four weeks in. But if you're trying to figure out who is setting U.S. policy, who briefed Trump before this meeting today? Mm-hmm. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu is walking into a White House that is, to put it charitably, in upheaval. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you go back to what the source inside the White House just told me, is a train wreck. And so the National Security Advisor's job is to bring together all the different points of view, uh, coming from all the bureaucracy, around Washington and brief the president with this detailed, thoughtful process so that the U.S. goes into a meeting knowing what they're trying to get out of it. Is that process happening? There's an acting national security advisor who's been there for all of 30 hours at this point.
0: So when you become like the secretary of state or you take over another cabinet... I mean, you come in, you bring a few top aides with you, but you're basically inheriting a whole lot of career officers who come with the furniture and they were there before you and will probably be there after you. It seems like the NSC is different, that the fact that Flynn is gone, we can expect that a whole new National Security Council is going to come in with the with the new advisor, is Not that Not a whole to say? new
1: council, but you're right, a lot of them. Most people working on the National Security Council are on loan from somewhere else, from mm-hmm. Treasury or CIA or the Pentagon or the Justice Department. Um, we already even before Trump walked into the White House, knew a lot of them said, I don't want to work for a Trump administration. I'm going back to my home agency. Um, I've talked to many people um, who, have, who have gone. The president always brings in new political appointees. He brought in Flynn. Flynn brought in a deputy there. Now it looks like on the way out. Um, so there's huge upheaval. There are literally a lot of empty desks. Uh, in the basement of the West Wing, which is where the NSC is, is camped out, the senior members of it at least. The rest are uh, over in the old executive office building right next door to the White House. Um, and right now you have empty desks. Now, the ones who are there are trying to get on with their jobs, from what I can tell, as I make calls around. Um, but it is not clear who is steering this ship. And that's a big deal. Well, it, wanna... seem,
2: it seems pretty obvious that Donald Trump is the one steering the ship, you know, but it's hard to be the star of the show and the producer. You know, you need somebody who in a job that's as demanding as the presidency, somebody who can, as you say, steer the ship. And, you know, is that Steve Bannon? Is that uh, Reince Priebus? Steve Bannon being the chief strategist, Reince Priebus being the chief of staff. It seems that with every passing day or passing hour, there's one faction or another in the White House that gains and loses traction. But it all depends on the mood of Donald Trump.
0: And that's exactly how the campaign worked. Yep. But the stakes are a little lower as high as the stakes are for a presidential campaign. They're a lot lower than being in the White House.
2: Right. And some of this, you know, maybe sounds picayune. But yeah. I wonder, you know, we in the Beltway in Washington are obviously paying attention to all the comings and goings. But Mary Louise, you know, from your purview, why does all this matter?
1: Well, step back and, and just think about what it is we are actually talking about here. We we have news this week. The National Security Advisor of the United States has just been forced out because of contact with a foreign power and not any foreign power, but Russia, an adversary of the United States that has recently and actively been working to undermine U.S. democracy through hacking in the election. That is a heck of a scandal and it is not going away.
0: It is like a plot point from like a Tom Clancy book type world, more more, more in terms of that world than the world we are used to covering here. So what happens next, that being the case? Because even with with the constant churn of big news stories from the Trump campaign and now the Trump administration, this has really stuck out as a major scandal, as a major happening. But what does that mean for what happens next with Congress, with the entire national security apparatus, with other countries dealing with us?
1: I wonder if we are at a tipping point in this Russia story. Mm -hmm. Uh, At a certain point, everything that we know will be leaked. (laughs) Everything that U.S. intelligence knows will be leaked, and it either is going to stick and have and bring down other heads besides Mike Flynn, or it, it becomes clear that maybe things weren't handled as they should have been. Uh, maybe there were some improper, uh, ill-advised dealings, but nothing actually illegal, nothing prosecutable. And and the world moves on. And, and one way or the other, it would be nice to have resolution to this so that the U.S. can go on, so that yeah. this new administration has a chance to go on and focus on the many huge challenges, which right now, nobody's focused
2: on. And what's amazing here is we're talking about national security. We're talking about the early days of an, of an administration. And traditionally, historically, the early days of an administration are when they're most vulnerable to potential attacks.
1: Yeah. Just to give one little example along these lines of the urgency here, we got news yesterday of a Russian missile launch.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, This is Russia in violation of an old treaty signed back when it was the Soviet Union uh, launching a nuclear-capable missile. This was something that has been in the works. They were testing during the Obama administration. They've actually deployed it now. Uh, And we learned this yesterday. And this is A significant test. They are probing the waters. They're testing the Trump administration. And that barely registered as a headline because all of Washington, including the media, we're guilty too, are focused on this controversy that keeps... Embroiling and pushing everything else to, to the back pages.
0: Aren't they also running a spy ship up and down our east coast right that now? That is
1: another intriguing Tom Clancy-like <laughs> development, which we are tracking. Yes.
0: Only if it was uh, only if it was totally non-detectable by sonar.
1: And we haven't even gotten to the poisonous needles and the North <laughs> Korean demise in a Malaysian airport. But that's yeah. another podcast.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's. Uh, I, we, we want to touch on two other stories of the day, but before we close this conversation on Russia and Trump and Flynn. What are your biggest unanswered questions right now? What do you want to know? For me, what I want to know is, was Michael Flynn acting on his own when he talked to Russia's ambassador? Or did someone say, you should have that conversation?
1: I think that's the key question when you're looking at Flynn, when you're looking at possible contacts between the Trump campaign and Russia. It's, did they cross a line between
2: contact and collusion? Mm -hmm. I'd like to know, like I said a little bit earlier, why didn't Trump fire him January 26th? when they first found out that he misrepresented his phone call with the Russian ambassador we want to see the transcripts too because those are going to be open to interpretation as far as you know whether there was anything perceive perceptible as being inappropriate or influencing because you know we haven't even talked about the Logan Act but which has never been prosecuted but always comes up and is used more as a political weapon but no one who is who is a private citizen supposed to be conducting foreign policy without the permission of the United States? And the
1: crazy thing, just to put a coda on this, it would be nice to see the transcripts. But that doesn't shut this down either, because you never know in intelligence in intercepted communications, were there 17 other phone calls that mm-hmm. didn't get caught up in the web that we don't know where where Flynn called back and said, I didn't mean it. Actually, this other thing, that's the way we're going. You never know. And so it's these an... little morsels that we keep tracking.
0: So as big as this story is, there's always other news happening in the world. Uh, we heard from Trump before. That was with a press conference with Israel's prime minister. Domenico, uh, some other interesting <laughs> stuff on the actual topic of Israel, Today.
2: Well, I mean, think about this. You had the president of the United States talking to the leader of Israel, and the United States is now backing away from its stated position that the best way to peace in the Middle East is through a two state solution. You had Donald Trump essentially say, two state, one state whatever either side wants. This was all great news to Benjamin Netanyahu, played up his relationship and his personal ties to Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. And Netanyahu now has an ally, he feels, within the White House. He even said that they're going to talk about those settlements, uh, but that that's not the heart of the issue as it relates to peace.
0: How long has a two-state solution been the United States' main uh, viewpoint of the situation in Israel?
2: Decades. 40, 40, 50 years. I mean, we
1: should say, we should note President Obama in his final press conference at the White House said the moment may be passing for a two-state solution. We have seen U.S. policy maybe start to trend in this direction. The big question for me is still, is it clear what the U.S. policy is and who is formulating that going forward?
0: Also, uh, as we record right now, the nomination of Andy Puzder for Labor Secretary is in serious, serious danger. It looks like he could likely be the first... uh Trump nominee to, to get rejected by the senator, withdraw. Domenico, how big of a deal is that?
2: It's a pretty big deal because you know Democrats have been looking for at least one cabinet member who would withdraw or who wouldn't be confirmable. This happens in every administration where at least one or two people wind up withdrawing their nomination. Uh, this became highly controversial. He was one person early on who we were surprised even was nominated because he's somebody who's actually tangled with the Labor Department. He's yeah. one of those folks who would be going into the Labor Department, talking against the express vision and mission <laughs> in some ways of the Labor Department, He's even been sanctioned by the Labor Department.
0: And real quick, what are the main reasons why uh, Republican senators say they just can't vote for him?
2: So, look, Andy Puzder has been controversial from the beginning. He runs Carl's Jr. and Hardy's fast food restaurants, uh, and Democrats have been upset with him because of past labor practices, these very provocative ads that he's run, uh, his opposition to a minimum wage hike. His, his restaurants have actually been cited by the Labor Department, which he wants to run uh, because of overtime violations. And there were even past allegations of abuse from a previous marriage and even some conservatives upset because of his past support of immigration reform. So that's a lot of things.
1: And it's a really interesting political fight to watch because if that nomination gets derailed, this would be the first the Democrats have managed to block.
0: Right. They've tried. This would be the first. They came very close with Betsy DeVos, who uh, Vice President Mike Pence had to break a 50-50 tie to confirm her. But other than that, despite the fact that Democrats have slowed down the timetable a lot for these confirmations, every one of Trump's picks has gotten through. Okay, well, we have a lot more to discuss in our regular weekly roundup tomorrow because, yes, today is only Wednesday. And whenever there's more big news, you can check the feed. We'll try to get an episode out if we can. In the meantime, be sure to keep up with all of our coverage on your local public radio station and sign up for our newsletter. You can get a daily email with all of our political reporting. Go to npr.org slash politics newsletter to sign up. Again, that's npr.org slash politics newsletter. All right, I'm Scott Detrow. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor.
1: I'm Mary Louise Kelly. I cover national
0: security. Mary Louise, thank you for hanging out with us. My pleasure. Anytime. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.